This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. Introducing Batiste's wet-activated and touch-activated dry shampoo. With breakthrough technology that absorbs oil and releases bursts of fragrance whenever you sweat or touch your hair for up to 24 hours, it's the ultimate hair care for girls on the go. Try the newest dry shampoo that's activated by you. Batiste, the future of hair care is here. Buy Batiste dry shampoo online or in-store at your nearest retailer. This episode is brought to you by Fidelity. Placing a trade shouldn't be complicated. It should be smooth as butter. The Fidelity app makes investing easy with zero commission U.S. stock and ETF trades, no account minimums, and fractional shares trading. Fidelity, where nothing comes between you and the trade. That's smooth. Download our app free from the App Store or Google Play. Sell orders are subject to an activity assessment fee from $0.01 cent to $0.03 cents per $1,000 of principal. No account minimums apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSC, SIPC. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. No. This is Creepy, a podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy presents The Giant at the Side of the Road Written by Darkly Gathers, and narrated by Danielle Hewitt and David Collins. Some people are scared of spiders. I get that. They're frightening-looking creatures. Some are afraid of snakes. I get that, too. Some of the dark, some of heights, some of scarecrows, some of exams. But it's a little different for me. My entire life, I've been scared of the giant that watches from the side of the highway. He's always been there, as long as I can remember. And he's always frightened me. He's colossal. A still and silent monolith. I've never seen him move. 
but whenever my mom drove me somewhere far away, he was watching. He still is. Whenever I have to take a long drive. Far in the distance, beyond the road. Shrouded in low-hanging clouds at the top of a hill, or on the side of a mountain. Towering up towards the sky as he soundlessly watches the lights of the cars flicker by along the highway. I don't know why I think of it as a he. I guess it kinda has a male build. He has the rough shape of a human, a massive one. Whenever I see him, he always looks like he was formed from the materials of the ground on which he stands. Usually this means he's a titan of brown and green, a rough and terrible extension of the wild grass hillside, a mountainous body of rock and dark earth. This is how he appeared in the earliest memory I have of him. I saw his gigantic silhouette appear in the distance, a monstrous shadow in the wet, gray mist of that cold, dark evening. I remember wiping away the condensation on the car window to get a better look, staring, my heart pounding, my body rush with the most basic of human instincts. An ancient and quietly powerful dread. The fear of the unknown. His eyes were glowing a soft green, like lamps through the enshrouding fog, looking back at me from afar. No one else can see him. I learned this pretty quickly. For my mother... My constant insistence and compulsive, anxious questioning went from creative and charming to rude, frustrating, and disturbing with significant speed. So I dropped it. No one else brings him up. No one mentions him. No one else stares out their window, cold and terrified as his form passes by in the wilderness beyond the road. I never know exactly when or where he's going to appear. But he always does. Whenever a trip warrants any significant period of time on a highway, he'll be there. Watching. I've never left the country. I'm only 21, to be fair. But when I was younger, my mom used to drive the two of us down south to visit relatives. It was a long drive, and one I always spent in a shivering sense of deep discomfort. The edge of a panic. A tide that ebbed and flowed against my constitution. I never knew when the giant was going to appear. The anticipation was always worse than his eventual appearance. But every time I saw him, every time I see him, when I catch that first glimpse, the feeling is always the exact same. The icy surge of adrenaline. The sharpening of my senses and the dulling of any extraneous meanderings of my mind. There is only one present moment. Me and the giant. He's appeared to me in the desert before, too. As a tower of orange-gold sandstone, great clouds of dust swirling about his lower legs, shimmering almost impeccably as the sun burns high in the sky. He's appeared as a grim goliath of frosted rock in the mountains, his rough, crude, 
barely human-like features weather-beaten, and scarred by the swirl of the snowstorm and the biting hail. He never appears close to the road, so it's hard to tell for sure, but sometimes his skin resembles the rough, dark bark of the surrounding trees. Clustered, perhaps, gathered around his knees, the deep forest green of the pine needles carrying up towards his chest. I saw him once, standing in the sea. He was a long way away that time, but he looked worn, a coastal stack, standing stock still as always, a dark, rough stone body that simultaneously boasted a deep and incalculable strength a power beyond rational comprehension, and yet somehow, at the same time, seemed like it could collapse at any time and become lost in the frothing, churning sea below. Just another unremarkable heap of underwater rock and sand. But his eyes are always the same. Soft green, glowing through the haze of the rain of the clouds looking back into mine. My mom doesn't drive me around as much anymore. I don't live with her these days. My fiancé's been my driver for the last few years. I never learned to drive myself, you see. I'm too scared. The thought of driving alone down the road. The only person in the vehicle. As the giant watches me pass from up on high. It's too much. The thought alone makes me sweat. I don't know what he wants, but I can't shake the knowing feeling that he wants me by myself. He's not a naturally good-tempered man, my fiancé. He gets angry easily. He didn't at first, but he does now. Nothing I say makes him happy, and I try so hard, but he provides. He looks after me. I really should be more grateful. So many women have it worse. I haven't had a great deal of positive male role models growing up, if I'm being honest. My dad was a good man, apparently. But I never met him. He was a construction worker, died on the job before I was born, in an accident. My mom never really recovered. The way she is now... She's all I've ever known. But my aunt tells me that she used to smile so much more. She used to make jokes. She used to laugh. But I digress. I'm still with Colton. Because men tend to scare me. And my fiancé's mood swings are bearable. If he can keep me safe from the others. Safe from the unknown. He lashes out at me sometimes. He says things he doesn't mean. He hits me on occasion. It's never pre-planned, though. You have to understand. It's never malicious. He just loses control. He sees red. It's a color he's been seeing in... greater, more vibrant shades these last few months. I think the wedding is stressing him out. 
it stresses me out, too. Not that I'd ever let him know that, of course. That would only make things worse. We've been driving around a lot, scoping out potential venues. And they're all so far away. Every trip requires a long, troubling drive down some highway. A drive under the watchful eyes of the silent Colossus. Colton has always known that long drives make me nervous. He thinks it's funny. He laughs at me. Makes fun. I've considered telling him the real reason. Telling him about the giant. On more than one occasion. But I've always decided against it. After all, what good would it do? He'd think I was mocking him. He'd get angry. So I stay quiet and endure the teasing. As long as he's here with me. As long as I'm not alone on the highway. Then it's okay. Not alone with the giant. Recently, however, Colton hasn't found my anxiety particularly funny. Under the pressure of the impending wedding, he's become certain that my unsettled state, my set jaw, my tremblings, my clenching and unclenching fingers, my furtive glances out the window, and my quiet, uncertain half-presence in conversation is down to him. To our upcoming marriage and our relationship. And this makes him resentful. And the resentment always gives way. Sooner, rather than later, to bitter fury. You're a stupid cunt, Rose. He barks, mid-rant, shooting me a quick, fiery stare before returning his eyes to the road. I say nothing. You don't even want to get married at all, do you? Huh. You just want to lock your fucking claws into me and then divorce me. You want to take me for half my worth, don't you? Hey, I'm talking to you. I don't, Colton. I reply quietly, watching the giant hand steadily by. He's stood in the distance, amongst a series of low, green hills. A flock of birds fly behind his head in an intricate swooping formation. You can't get me, monster beyond the road. I think to it. I don't know what you want, but you won't have me today. Not today. Not today. Yes, you do! He screams, slamming his fist against the wheel. He reaches over and grabs a handful of my hair, yanking me close. I cry out in anguish. Everything I do. Everything I fucking do for you. And for what? What the fuck do you do for me? You barely listen. I try to talk to you, to be constructive, and you treat me like a fucking afterthought. I'm sorry, Colton. Please. I whimper quietly. As earnestly as I can. I have to sound like I mean it. Or it just gets worse. He swears under his breath, shaking his head. But mercifully, he releases me, and I thank him. I try to touch his shoulder, but he shrugs me off. I turn to look back out the windows. 
trickles of condensation shake and run down the glass in little rivers. The giant watches. The wedding is next week. Colton's only gotten worse. It's the stress. Some of us handle it better than others. I can understand that. I have to wear long sleeve shirts when I go out now. He's picked up a new habit. When I frustrate him, he grips my forearm as hard as he can and twists. It usually just leaves a red mark that lasts a few days. Sometimes he breaks the blood vessels under the skin and bruises form. Brown, yellow, and purple. So I wear long sleeves. Icy Hot starts working instantly to dull the pain with the icy cool sensation. Then, the warming sensation relaxes it away. Feel the power of Icy Hot's contrast therapy. Ice works fast. Heat makes it last. Icy Hot. This is your invitation to plug into a lineup of Lexus electrified vehicles built at the intersection of performance and design with a range of options to fit any lifestyle. A feeling this electric is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the elevation of electrification and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Inventory may vary by dealer. This episode is brought to you by Buffalo Trace Distillery. Powerful yet smooth. Contained but never tame. Proudly going their own way, but never going alone. This is the spirit inside Buffalo Trace bourbon. Made at Buffalo Trace Distillery, the world's most award-winning distillery. Buffalo Trace is always perfectly untamed. Distilled, aged, and bottled by Buffalo Trace Distillery. Franklin County, Kentucky. 90 proof. 45% alcohol by volume. Learn more at buffalotracedistillery.com. Please drink responsibly. He's scarier now. It used to be bearable. I used to actually want to marry him once. I still want to make him happy. That's what I've always wanted. But the thought of being trapped with him, forever. What if he doesn't get better? What if he only gets worse? What if the stress just keeps coming? But I push these treacherous thoughts aside. They'll do me no good now. I'm in the car again. The passenger seat. Colton is driving. The world beyond the road is a picture of rain. Great loud sheets of it pouring through the haze. The low green mountains in the distance, mere shadows and shapes, amidst the thrall of the storm. The rain impedes our progress. And we aren't going as fast as Colton would like. And this has put him in an unfortunate mood. I am, as always, on edge. The topic of conversation has staggered clumsily onto my necklace. No. He replies flatly, twitching. Rage bristles below the surface. A vein in his neck throbs, then fades. It's an ugly-looking thing. And if I'm being honest, Rose, I've always kind of hated it. It doesn't fit the theme. The wedding's gonna be in blue and white. Your necklace is green. I know, I know, it doesn't fit the theme. But my mother gave it to me. And I know it's not the prettiest looking thing in the world. But I still think it's sort of nice. It would mean a lot to me if... 
Did you hear me, Rose? He shouts, shoving me away as thunder rolls dangerously across the far sky. Are you listening? You never fucking listen. I said no. No, you're not wearing that hideous thing. My lip trembles. I hate that this is the way my body reacts. But it is what it is. I try to prevent my throat from closing up. A pitiful defense mechanism. It's my mom, Wood. Your mom is a stupid, selfish bitch. He mutters through his clenched teeth, flashing his lights at the car in front through the rain. Please, Colton, don't. Don't? He repeats, turning to look at me, spit flying from his lips. Did you say don't? How fucking dare you? You do not tell me what I can and cannot do, you ungrateful bitch. I try to calm him down, but he only gets worse. He puts his foot down on the accelerator and swerves angrily around the car in front, honking the horn as he does so. And with a sharp push of the button on the door, the driver's side window rolls down. The sound of wind, a sudden roar as rain lashes into the car. He grabs my necklace and tears it from my neck in a swift movement, hurling it out the vehicle and into the downpour. No! I cry out, leaning across him, reaching out instinctively to try to grab it back. But I'm too late. He pushes me back and mutters something else under his breath. How could you? I say with voice raised. I did not plan on this accusation. I couldn't help it. I know it was unwise. That I shouldn't have. And I'll feel guilty about it later. But how could he? How could he do something so heartless to his own fiancé? And he strikes me. He gives me a quick but heavy glance. Loaded with disdain and smacks me hard across the cheek and jaw with a full force of his hand. The pain comes in sharp, immediate heat that throbs across the side of my face. I turn away, against my desperate will, start to sob ever so softly, my tears like the rain against the window. Colton raises his voice further still, above the hammering of the storm against the windscreen. You're not listening, Rose, for fuck's sake. Look what you made me do. If you don't stop crying, then I'm gonna have to... But he stops mid-sentence. His words evaporate from his tongue into a gasp. A noise that temporarily empties his lungs. A great streak of lightning cuts in jagged lines through the darkness of the sky ahead. And for a moment, all is illuminated in brilliant white light. The cars ahead. The highway. The mountains beyond. And the giant. He stands directly in front. Far away amongst the mountains. But he is taller still. A titan of rock, eyes keen and glowing through the swirling fog and over the rolling clouds, yet ever silent in the howl of the rain. His sudden appearance makes me jump in horror. His eyes, once you see them, are obvious. I don't know how I missed him. But of course, I always see him eventually. 
Something curious happened next, though. Something that has never happened before. Something I will think about for the rest of my life. What the fuck is that? And I turn to him. He's staring ahead. Eyes wide. Wider than I've ever seen them before. His knuckles white on the wheel. His mouth agape. Are you fucking seeing that? I follow his line of sight. And look back to him. Then back along his line of sight. Then back to him again. I squeeze his arm with sudden panic. Seeing what, Colton? Say it. What is it? What can you see? I'm unable to keep myself from shaking as a deep and powerful fear courses through me. As the wind and the rain batter malevolently against the windows. That... that fucking... Colton licks his dry and cracked lips. That fucking giant. He whispers, and goosebumps ripple across my skin. I slam a hand to my mouth and look back to the Colossus. His glowing eyes, two hate-filled searchlights in the darkness. This is it. This is the end. He's coming for me. And the giant moves. Lightning crackles again across the sky. A heavy tide of thunder rolls over the mountains and down the highway. I can feel it crash against the car, shaking it. Colton crying out as he struggles with the wheel. And the giant slowly, painstakingly, lowers his head. The noise, a deep, yet ethereal groan, lost amidst the thunder. His eyes flash, and he starts to lift his arm to reach out his hand. He's miles away. Miles and miles and miles. But the sense that that giant could lean down, all the way down from the sky and stride toward us, crushing the vehicle like a beetle in his grip, or worse, is very real. Palpable. It's like the very mountain itself has singled us out. Like it has directed the raging storm our way. And it is terrifying. Please! Please! Colton is incomprehensible. He is babbling nonsense. Whimpering and shouting intermittently. And he cannot take his eyes off the giant ahead. Nor his foot from the pedal. The giant groans and the rain cascades and the thunder ripples over the mountains. Colton! Colton, look out! The car is coming up to the back of a jam. Traffic in the storm. And Colton screams, yanking the wheel to the left, then changing his mind and hastily spinning it to the right. Lightning flashes for a third and final time, and the car careens off the road. The rain is a vortex around the vehicle as it spins and the scene outside became a blur of gray and green. I hear the sound of tearing metal and shattering glass, and the world goes black. It's been five months since then. I remember waking up the next morning in a hospital bed, panicked, frightened by the glare of the overhead lights, unsure of where I was or what had happened. Once I calmed down, they told me that Colton had been killed in the crash. Neck broken on impact. I didn't feel a thing when they shared the news. 
I wasn't really sure how to feel. He was dead. Gone. Just like that. And I had gotten away with some nausea and a broken arm. In the span of five months that followed, I did not see the giant again. Not once. Nowhere to be seen. He had, it seemed, stopped appearing to me. And so I decided to learn how to drive. I was pretty good, as it happened. A natural. I knew I had to be a natural at something. And it seems that the something is driving. Who would have thought it? I passed my first time with flying colors. My mom found herself a half-decent job as of late. And she chipped in to help me buy my first car. She was so proud. I'm driving it now. My first drive, actually. My first solo. Nerve-wracking, for sure. But I'm not going particularly fast. An easy one. And I know exactly where I'm headed. The evening sky tonight is purple. Wisps of thin, horizon-orange cloud drift lazily behind the mountains. There are not many cars on the highway. I'm driving back to where we had the accident. And it isn't too long before I see him. The giant. He's not standing now. He's sitting, cross-legged and still, watching from the mountainside ahead. I keep driving. I keep driving until I'm as close to the mountain as I can get. I find a road that branches off, though it's more of a dirt track, really. It clearly isn't maintained. I bring the car to a gentle stop and put it in park, stepping out the door and onto the wild grass beyond. And I walk. I walk over the fields and away from the highway. My legs tire quickly on the uphill incline, but I continue nonetheless. I climb the mountain with long, exhausting, but steady steps. And it's not so bad. It's more of a long, high hill than a mountain, really. Still high enough to be far, far above the highway, though. The cars below are little, but twinkling fireflies beneath a deep and indigo sky. I come to an eventual stop at the giant's outstretched hand. He's still sitting, cross-legged. But his arm stretches down to the ground, his hand is open, and palm upward facing. He's looking down at me now. I didn't notice any movement from his head, but our gazes met as I look up at him. He is huge. So incredibly, impossibly, almost incomprehensibly massive. And yet, in the light of the setting sun, I realize that I don't know how I ever could have found him scary. I touch a hand to one of his enormous fingers. He feels warm. The evening's light, before it fades, catches on something hung from a rock at his fingertip. A quick flash that draws my eye when I see it. I smile. It's my necklace. The one my mother gave me. Glittering. I reach out and take it, and I crane my neck looking back up to the giant's face. Thank you. And slowly, 
ever so slowly. The giant closes his bright and shining eyes, and I take my leave. It's time to let him rest. I haven't seen the giant since the day he returned my necklace. I'm not sure if I ever will again, but I still feel like he's watching me. Watching over me, I guess. And I'm no longer afraid. For more information, including pictures and videos of the stories told on this podcast, or to suggest stories for future episodes, please visit us at CreepyPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or email us at CreepyPod at gmail.com. All stories told on this podcast can be found at creepypastawikia.com and are protected by a Creative Commons license. Some rights reserved unless otherwise stated. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Home of horror queers genre commentary from the lgbtq perspective scp archives the boo crew listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts Item number SCP-5186 SCP-7160 SCP-7533 Object class Euclid Keter Safe Special containment procedures Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust <laughs> The only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing <laughs> Do you remember your name? Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.